Beyond the Headline with Aldrin Sampia on SAFM. Weekdays, 3 to 6 p.m. 0614104107. You can drop me an X at Aldrin Sampia and our studio line is 086-000-2032. It's eight minutes after five o'clock and time for the interview. Can South Africa succeed to persuade the International Court of Justice uh, to hold Israel's war on Gaza. A few hours ago, the International Court of Justice heard oral arguments uh, from lawyers representing South Africa. The application to the International Court of Justice against Israel by South Africa alleges that Israel has violated the Genocide Convention, to which it is a signatory. However, Israel has strongly refuted the allegation, calling it baseless. Daniel Levy is joining us now to help us understand whether South Africa's case is strong enough to issue a provisional measure that would protect against the severe irreparable harm of Palestinians. And Daniel Levy is the president of the U.S. Middle East Project. Daniel, good evening and thank you so much for making time for us. Well, thank you for having me with you on what is, I think, a very significant day. Well, certainly. I want to start off with the remarks that were made by uh, Blinley Nee, Greiley King's counsel on the urgency and irreparable harm, because I think it really speaks to also that um, with this particular case before the International uh, Court of Justice is also, it is the international law is also on trial here and whether the reputation of international law could be saved. Just listen to quick, just listen quickly what you had to say and then after that um, we'll, have the, we'll have the conversation. Okay, I'm told that the clip is not ready as yet. But tell me, Daniel, what do you make of the arguments that have been presented today? Well, I think we have heard an extremely compelling, and I have to say, very impressively put together case. And it has only come to this because every other avenue to try and actively stop this horror has been blocked. The UN Security Council has failed to act. The International Criminal Court has been dragging its feet. Unfortunately, the efforts by the Biden administration have not been willing to really put leverage, put political muscle into the game. And I can tell you from the perspective of someone who follows this very closely and is following how this is playing out in Israel, of course, I'm not saying they're happy with it at all, but this has had already more impact on the possibility of an improvement in the situation than anything else that has been done and that anything the U.S. has done. And if I can share this one thought with you, I can't speak as a South African. I can speak as a human and as a citizen of this world and as someone who cares deeply about Palestinians, but also that Israelis should have a better future. I would say huge credit to South Africa. I'm proud that I live in a world in which this kind of a case has been brought. And I think this is for the better of humanity. And and I just hope that your listeners and South Africans of whatever political persuasion and whatever government you would have in South Africa would pursue justice in this way. Let's quickly listen to the clip here from Grayley King's counsel on the argument around urgency, but also the question around international law. And um, you have touched a bit on it around how the international community has failed the people of Palestine. Just listen to what you had to say. The imminent risk of death, harm and destruction that Palestinians in Gaza face today 
and that they risk every day during the pendency of these proceedings on any view justifies, indeed compels, the indication of provisional measures. Some might say that the very reputation of international law, its ability and willingness to bind and to protect all peoples equally, hangs in the balance. But the Genocide Convention is about much more than legal precedent. It is also fundamentally about the confirmation and endorsement of elementary principles of morality. Well, that is what she had to say, Daniel, and it reminded me of what um, the Secretary General of the United Nations, Antonio Guterres, had said before, is that it almost seems that people have given up on multilateralism because multilateralism seems to be failing. What's your interpretation of why this war um, between um, Israel and Palestine has been ongoing for so long, even though there have been multiple resolutions that have been taken in the United Nations? And answering that question brings us to another part of what was so important about today, which is the the South African position put this precisely in that context. This didn't begin on October 7th. Things were not okay on October 6th, if you like. Things have not been okay for decades. And I would argue that the key missing piece in the absence of any progress and on the continuing deteriorating situation is the impunity with which Israel's policies, Israel's violations of international law against the Palestinians have been met, that there has not been accountability. Time after time, there has been the opportunity to hold Israel accountable. And why do I say that's so important? Because there is, of course, an asymmetry of power here. And unless Israel feels that there is a different incentive structure, unless Israel feels that there is a cost and consequence, one would be surprised if the Israeli public and body politic found their way to a different approach. And that's what I think... And I hope I'm not exaggerating here. I think there is a possibility that in the future we will look back on this day. We will look back on this appeal to the International Court of Justice as a very important moment, perhaps even a watershed moment, where a different approach started to bear fruit. And I think the the arguments made today as to why there is a need You don't have to prove that Israel is trying to wipe out the entire population. You need to prove that there is a need for measures now to prevent the possibility of a genocide and to prevent the current situation. And I think there was a strong case made for that today. On, on the issue around the status of Palestine as a state or a non-state, Do you think that if the United Nations Security Council was to accede to an application by Palestine to be seen as a state, that it could actually change the way even the globe understands Palestine as a state and also um, the argument that has been put forward that we heard today as well, um, that that rather Palestine should be allowed um, the right for self-determination? 
Well, I think recognizing Palestine at the UN is not the same as achieving that right to self-determination. So I think Palestine anyway has been able to accede to the to the ICC, for instance. So it's been able to put a case forward there. What South Africa has done today is to fulfill its obligation as a signatory to the Genocide Convention. And because Israel is also a signatory, South Africa and Israel are therefore in dispute as to the obligations under, under that convention. So I think this question of recognizing Palestinian statehood is not so central to the immediate question in front of us. In fact, I think some Palestinians may look at this and say, we don't want what is in effect a non-state to be recognized. And this is part of the argument that was made today in the court, which is, are we actually seeing the existence of an apartheid regime by Israel against the Palestinians? So if there were actual deoccupation, if there was an actual Palestinian state, that would be a solution. Simply recognizing something in a symbolic way, I don't think necessarily advances the board. And the reason that I asked that question as well is going to the root cause also around where Hamas is standing. And the argument obviously being that would Hamas accede to a two-state solution? Because beyond, for instance, the Court of Internet, the, the International Court of Justice making a ruling and however that ruling would be enforced if indeed uh, South Africa does, does succeed, the question around the existence of Hamas neighboring um, a, a Israel, for instance, would we ever find a permanent solution to coexistence? Well, it's an important question. And of course, one should acknowledge that in the South African uh, case presented, there was a recognition that a crime was committed by Hamas and other militant groups on October 7th. Of course, the case then was made that that cannot justify uh, the crimes that have subsequently and continue to be committed. Now, Hamas has changed its charter some years ago, and Hamas has agreed, but the other side in the PLO has not agreed, that Hamas could come into the PLO. And this might be part of the possibility of having a Hamas that is represented in any future talks and that could, you know, ultimately when there's a wicked, bloody conflict, you, you need some kind, I think, of Truth and Justice Commission, of Transitional Justice, and you also need the people who have been part of that wicked conflict to be part of the solution. The Israeli government, having just destroyed Gaza, having managed this regime against Palestinians for so long, will have to be part of that. The Hamas party, I think, will have to be part directly or indirectly of uh, any outcome. Right now, you have an Israeli government that is, by its own guidelines of the government, in written in paper, anyone can look this up, is committed to there being no Palestinian state that says the entirety of the land, also of the Palestinian occupied land, not just of that area recognized by the world as Israel. The entirety of that land is for the Jewish people only. And that really gives you nothing to work with, unfortunately.
Let's go back to the presentations that were made. Um, let's quickly play this clip from advocate Tembegan Nukaitobi. And this is where he was speaking on the genocidal intent and quoting various leaders um, of the Israeli government and saying that based on those utterances that have been made and based on the conduct of the IDF, they believe as South Africa um, that they've proven a case of a genocidal intent. Just listening to what to what he has to say. And I also want to bring some context to the use of the word Amalek and where it finds credence in this. We remind the court of the identity and authority of the genocidal inciters. The Prime Minister the President, the Minister of Defense, the Minister of National Security, the Minister of Energy and Infrastructure, members of the Knesset, senior army officials, and foot soldiers. Genocidal utterances are therefore not out in the fringes. They are embodied in state policy. The intent to destroy is plainly understood by soldiers on the ground. It is also fully understood by some within the Israeli society, with the government facing criticism for allowing in any aid to Gaza on the basis that it is recanting on its promise to starve Palestinians. Okay, that is Advocate Nukaitobi arguing on behalf of South Africa, the other part of the case, and that is in relation to a genocidal intent. And I want to go to what um, the quote is there from the Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, on the 28th of December, saying that you must remember what Amalek has done to you, says our Holy Bible, and we do remember. The Bible passage reads, now go attack Amalek and prescribe all that belongs to him. Spare no one, but kill all alike, all men and women, infants and sicklings, oxen, sheep and camels and assess. What do you make of the reference being made here to Amalek and also the significance of it? Also considering that a video was played during the presentation where um, the IDF soldiers were singing in support of this. Right. And let me first of all say that, that one of the, the smart things, I think, in today's deliberations by the, the, the team representing the South African claim uh, was to make only sparing use of video footage. And I think here they were preempting what the Israeli side is likely to do tomorrow. And they made it clear that they were not going to show images of devastation for long reams of time uh, and and that they were not going to turn this courtroom into a, a theater and a circus. In terms of the sparing limited images that they, they did share, including this video footage, you know, it's a strange thing, isn't it? That normally one would have to do serious investigative work, one imagines, to try and prove that there is strong evidence of intent, strong incitement to genocide. And yet what we have seen in the last three months is this you can follow it on tiktok right the evidence that what they were that they offered were youtube videos were tiktok videos and it's very hard i think for the israeli side to be able to duck out of the fact that there has been incredibly let's put it like this incredibly loose tongues 
in terms of the genocidal language. And unfortunately, you then had it, unfortunately for the Israeli side, and unfortunately for the reality for Palestinians, you then had these things repeated by soldiers, and they have aligned with the actions that we have seen on the ground. So you've seen soldiers chanting, and we all know that there are no uninvolved civilians, and chanting the Amalek and you know, you're familiar with the idea of dog whistles and, and winking. And, you know, people are people who have gone through a certain religious education uh, understand what that reference means. And they've kind of taken it as a cue to do their worst in the conflict itself. Now, I can tell you that it's quite interesting since the submission of this application and since the Israeli official side realized that this is something quite serious. Of course, they've tried to cast aspersions, they've tried to dismiss this, they've tried to talk glibly and just hurl accusations at South Africa, but they are actually very rattled and they are taking this seriously. And in fact, the directive went out, it hasn't been necessarily honored entirely, the directive went out inside the Israeli government for people to shut up and stop saying these things because they know how damaging these are going to be when you, you put the statements alongside the actions and then you get the kind of case that has been made today so the the idea that there is something devastatingly bad happening and that needs to be prevented i think it will be hard for the court not to at least suggest some measures and in that respect i think lives are very likely to be saved by the action that South Africa has taken at the court. Uh, just in conclusion, quickly, uh, tomorrow, of course, um, Israel will uh, present their case. I see that the um, Israeli um, foreign ministry spokesperson has issued a statement in referring to South Africa as a function of the legal arm of Hamas and Hamas's representatives in court, the South African lawyers. Um, they also make this emphasis again around um, using human shields and accusing Hamas of using human shields. But do you think that a case has been made at least for an interim provision? I found today, I'm not a legal scholar, but I spoke to legal scholars today. The case came across and is considered by the many legal scholars to have been very convincing. I will say this. I think that you have the reaction that you just shared with us of the uh, Israeli foreign ministry. I think that was for, uh, for propagandist purposes. I do not expect expect the Israeli legal defense to be so glib and dismissive and, to be honest, pathetic as the statement made by the foreign ministry. I think they're actually going to try and set out a legal case. And and I will just share this with you and, and with your listeners. As someone of the Jewish faith and someone who has spoken to, and I'm not saying we're, we're necessarily representative, but spoken to, to friends in Israel and, and Jewish friends here where I am and elsewhere today. And it has been a very difficult day, a very difficult thing to hear. And it's a tragedy in so many ways. But it was, we also felt that our own humanity and our belief as Jews in a set of universal principles that should apply to everyone. And the idea of never again 
after the Holocaust from which the genocide convention was born. This idea that this should never happen, not just to Jews, but to anyone. This felt like such an important moral clarity to be put out there. And, and, and I think a, a, a debt of gratitude is owed to the government of South Africa for carrying this forward from everyone. Thank you so much for your time. Daniel Levy there, president of the U.S. Middle East Project, 0614-104107. And you can also drop me an X at Alderan Simpia. As we conclude this conversation, just listen in to what Dr. Adila Hassim, a senior counsel, had to say when she was arguing on the aspect around genocidal acts. This killing is nothing short of destruction of Palestinian life. It is inflicted deliberately. No one is spared, not even newborn babies. The scale of Palestinian child killings in Gaza is such that UN chiefs have described it as a graveyard for children.